From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. A state senator is switching political parties. The reasons behind the decision and how it might impact the balance of power. Then, a Colorado woman who's leading a mission to ensure the water is safe to drink in war-torn Ukraine. We wanted to go right into the heart of the war zone because we really want to bring these filters to soldiers and to people who are without water due to direct impact of war. Plus, twin brothers from Denver's East High School are among the best of the best on the national speech and debate stage. I can just show black youth or minority youth, any type of youth, that you can transcend any problem or any thing that's going wrong because you have that power to overcome it with just the power of your voice. Hi, I'm Jasmine Liddington, and I donated my car to Colorado Public Radio. My car got hit, and ultimately it was totaled. When I realized that the car wasn't going to be fixed or covered, I just decided that what would be a higher purpose for this car, as opposed to parting it out for small amounts of money myself or just getting rid of it, the best decision was to donate it to an organization that I appreciate. It's easy to donate your car at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. A shakeup at the State House this week, one that could have consequences for the balance of power in the state for many years to come. A Republican state senator announced Monday that he's switching sides and becoming a Democrat. CPR public affairs reporter Vincent Berkland joins me now to explain who he is and why this matters. Hi, Vincent. Hi. So the senator in question is Kevin Priola. He represents a district in Adams County, northeast of Denver. Was his announcement a surprise? Yes, the the announcement was definitely a surprise. But Senator Priola is Colorado's most moderate Republican state lawmaker and does work with Democrats on big issues. Because of term limits, he's serving his second and final term in the state Senate after previously serving in the House. Talk more about that. What's his record been like as a lawmaker? In recent years, Priola has supported a safe injection site in Denver for drug users and signed on to a ballot proposal to let Colorado keep extra tax money for education and transportation. Both of those ideas didn't come to fruition, but it did allow backers to make the case that they had bipartisan support. And Priola has also worked with Democrats on measures aimed at preventing opioid abuse, simplifying health care billing, climate change. But he said in his letter that his decision won't change his votes and that he still won't be aligned with Democrats on some key issues. For instance, he strongly is opposed to abortion access and strongly in favor of Second Amendment rights. So he's been working on policies with Democrats for years. What is he saying about why he has finally decided to change parties? A lot of Republicans are asking that very same question about the timing. Um, In a written statement, Priola said there is too much at stake for Republicans to be in charge. He said he'd been waiting for the GOP to distance itself from former President Donald Trump after January 6th, but, quote, it never came. 
And then Priola said he can't continue to be part of a political party that is okay with a violent attempt to overturn a free and fair election and continues to peddle claims that the 2020 election was stolen. He also mentioned climate change as a driving factor. What does this mean for the balance of power in the state, having one less Republican and one more Democrat? Well, before he changed affiliations, Democrats had a 20 to 15 majority, and Republicans are hoping redistricting and a potential red wave this fall will allow them to take back the majority in that chamber. So that is more difficult now. The GOP has to win almost all of the competitive Senate seats. I can't imagine Republicans are taking this news very well. So what are they saying about it? Even Republicans who aren't big fans of Trump were not happy with Priola's decision. One person said of Priola, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Others said he should be recalled from office. After redistricting, Priola is in a more conservative district now. And Republicans are asking why now? And I think it pours salt into the wound for a lot of them that Priola became a Democrat. They are certainly aware that Priola votes with Democrats frequently. It's just a lot is at stake this election. And the Senate is the chamber where it's by far more feasible for Republicans to gain the majority. The Democratic margins in the House are just too big. I have to ask, does this happen very often, state lawmakers changing affiliation like this while still in office? It's happened from time to time, but it's pretty rare. And more often, we've seen lawmakers leave a political party and then become unaffiliated. And I actually talked to State Senator Don Corum. He's another moderate Republican. And he said he thinks Priola's decision wasn't well thought out and that Priola would have had a lot more power in a divided Senate if he was, in fact, unaffiliated. I would also note that the Democratic Senate president said he welcomes Priola into the caucus And other Democrats said they were looking forward to working with him. Wow. Fascinating. This will definitely be one situation to watch. Thank you so much, Benta. Yes, thanks for having me. CPR public affairs reporter Benta Berkland talking about the news that a Republican member of Colorado State Senate has decided to switch parties and become a Democrat. When we come back, a Colorado woman's mission to make sure Ukrainians have clean water to drink in the midst of war. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Music has this special ability to elevate the stories we tell, make you feel seen, help you to understand someone else's experience. From the bottom, now we're here. That's part of the joy of Started listening to bottom, music and exactly what we're exploring in the CPR podcast, Music Blocks. Yes. Five-minute musical explorations to help inspire great conversations about music in classrooms and during family time. Season two of the award-winning podcast, Music Blocks, is all about the stories of our lives. Find it wherever you listen. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. When Sarah Davis and Tracy was leaving Ukraine during a trip last May, people in the war-ravaged country implored her not to, quote, Let the world forget about us. The author and founder of Seeds of Exchange has taken that message to heart. She just arrived back in Colorado today after another trip to Ukraine. We spoke while she was there last week, helping with an effort to get portable water filters to people there who need them. Hi, Sarah. Well, hello. It's good to be with you guys from Ukraine. Also, 
Part of the group is John DeYoung. He invented the filter and is the founder of another nonprofit, Water for All. He also joins us now via Skype. Hi, John. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having us. Sarah, as we mentioned, this isn't your first trip to Ukraine, and it isn't even the first time you've delivered water filters to residents there. What was the impetus for returning? Yeah, the impetus for returning was the war that is breaking my heart and so many people around the world, capturing my attention. And I profoundly believe when something captures my heart and pains my heart, I often look and say, hey, what might I do to be a part of this, Mm. to be able to make a difference? And that door was my friend John here who invented these water filters. And um, he began immediately when the war broke out to say, hmm, I wonder if my water filters could benefit the people of Ukraine in their time of need. What changes have you noticed since you were there in May and now that you're back in August? Yeah, so when we were here in May, we were in the western part of Ukraine, which has happily at this point had very little to no um, impact of the war in terms of Russian forces there. But we decided on this trip, we wanted to go right into the heart of the war zone because we really want to bring these filters to soldiers and to people who are without water due to direct impact of war. So we were we just left Mykolaiv this morning. We were on the front lines yesterday. We were awakened in the middle of the night last night by impacts that just shook Mm. uh, us up. And we want to be there so that we can report about this and really draw people's eyes and hearts to this country and to this people. How much planning is there for getting around? Are you at all concerned about your safety there? Yeah, so for us, John and I, the way we go about um, these missions, uh, which really, these are not trips, these are missions to do whatever we can to make a difference. And we are always working with dear friends of ours on the ground. And so our hosts are um, people that we really are depending on, not just for travel and places to stay, but truly for security, um, is Young Life Ukraine. And they literally met us at the border We've been staying at their homes in Mykolaiv here tonight in Kiev. And um, they're not just friends, but they are true collaborators in this work. John, what about you? How do you feel? Uh, do you have any concerns about your own safety? That's a great question. I think, you know, there's always a risk when you do enter a war-torn area. I think there's risk because you don't know what the enemy is going to do. But our partner, like like Sarah said on ground, has done tremendous job of assuring our safety. Um, And when they assessed whether or not we should even come, they figured that if, you know, we were to spend a certain amount of time in certain areas, it would reduce the risk. Um, And that, you know, even in the sense of when we went to the front line, they offered us uh, bulletproof vests so that we could uh, also be safe in that that as well. So they've taken as many steps as possible to assure not only our safety, but the fact that we get to engage with the people here deeply and build relationships and really, you know, learn more about the stories that are going on here and meet the people who are suffering in this war. 
John, Water for All has been all around the world. How does this compare to <laughs> other places you've been? Oh, wow. That's a that's a wonderful question. Um, I've been really, I've been able to go to about 40 countries in my lifetime, seeing poverty and wow. other, you know, um, experience different types of culture. Um, I will have to say one thing about the Ukrainian people is they are just the hospitable level, their hospitality. Hospitality is off the charts. Um, They are very kind. They are not war people. I mean, you just don't see these people grabbing guns and doing what they do. They're doing it because they're fighting for their freedom and they're fighting for their future. And it is brothers and sons and uncles just doing what they can. So my heart really goes out to them. So it's different for me. I've You know, when you're talking about Rwanda and India and Peru and, you know, the Philippines or, you know, going to those countries to deliver clean water to those countries, then you come to a place where war is happening. It it is it is it is different. It is not going into a village um, in Rwanda. It is coming to a war torn area where you're seeing, you know, where we stayed just under a kilometer. There is there there was a bomb there and it just it, it just devastated this whole area. And we're just looking at that going, well, that was a kilometer away. Um, it's a much different scene. But mm. humanity is humanity. Humans are humans. And we are to come together and and um, serve each other and really come alongside people who are in such, um, I want to say, just devastated situations. So Water for All, that's your organization. What is it, and how did you come to pair with Sarah in Seeds of Exchange? <laughs> um, Sarah and I are dear friends. We've known each other for more than 10 years, and we were both um, you know, really involved in anti-trafficking. Um, Water for All came because I saw a need in India specifically, mm-hmm. where the slum children in the village needed clean water. And so we really went out and purchased and tried to figure out what the best solution for portable water, single family water solution is for the single family in these, you know, slum homes or these uh, village homes. Um, didn't find any filter that really satisfied that for uh, for durability, um, for the cost, and then just the ease of simplicity of maintaining filters. And so we developed a filter that was really easy to maintain, lasts for many years and gives, offers clean water no matter what the uh, contamination l- level is. Sarah, Seeds of Exchange, tell me a bit about the work your organization does. Yeah, so Seeds of Exchange is simply a community organization that I founded uh, 16 years ago wow. to wow. gather people together to be able to share stories about what is happening around the world, partnering with friends of mine to share what they are up to to bring change in the world, to make a difference in their communities, and to invite our community, based in Colorado, but it's grown around the United States and around the world, to be able to say, how can I make a tangible difference here in my community and in the lives of people around the world? And I am... I'm just persuaded with everything in me that it's not just doing good because um, that's the right thing to do, but because doing good fills me with hope. It makes my life light up. And um, when we care for people, especially in places like Ukraine that is capturing uh, so much of the news coverage and breaking so many hearts, I think it just feels good to be able to do a little something. 
You seem so upbeat, and um, that's totally admirable. But, I mean, is it kind of challenging, you know, kind of dealing with all this that's so heavy? Hmm. Yes. Yes, it is. And as John mentioned, you know, we, our friendship and our collaboration was rooted in this global systemic injustice of human trafficking. And this now problem of uh, a very unjust war here in Ukraine. And both of those things break my heart. And I am, it truly does bring uh, hope and joy into my life, into uh, the way I think about the world, the way I talk, when I am able to say, I am doing everything I can in these places that are breaking my heart. And I am never doing it alone because that doesn't work with these massive global injustices. And so I'm always looking for partnerships, for friendships, for ways to collaborate, to be able to make a difference. And it really does make me uh, make my heart very joyful and make my whole life um, feel that it is is lit up with hope. There is a um, story that we um, that we met this young girl yesterday, and she's 17 years old. When the war started, her uncle, her father, and her brother went to war. Mm. Uh, her and her mother and uh, two other siblings had to stay back, and they are in Mikalive. And so when you think about that, you, you can you can reflect back on your life or your family or, or your friend's family and go, wow, that's actually a brother, that's a father, and that's an uncle that goes to war. And, you know, she she said it's very difficult. And so that it, it really does bring it home. And, and you're right, it is it is difficult to hear these stories. You know, we're traveling with a with a mother who is pregnant. She's she's three months pregnant. And she has a two-year-old child, and she mm-hmm. chose to stay in Nikolaev to help her people. I mean, that's these are real humans, real stories. And, you know, and um, you know, the young girl was saying yesterday that when they left, when when her father, uncle, and brother left, all she gets is a text that says they're attacking because they can't tell her where they are. And then after a few days, they come back and she gets a text that says, We're alive. Imagine that day after day for six months. And so what I was encouraged by what Sarah's saying is that her strength and her, I, I can't even imagine being a 17 year old kid. Yeah. And she's smiling through this. She's smiling through this saying, God's given me strength. I have strength. I can do this. My mother has given me strength. And so it's just a, it's a powerful, um, it's a powerful story, I think, that we all can relate to. We have children, we have brothers, we have mothers, and we have fathers. And so it's just really relatable and, um, you know, helps us connect our humanity to someone else on the other side of the world. And stories like that, I'd imagine, really help us all put our own lives and challenges into perspective. I mean, this resilience that you're describing. Um, why was it so important for you to return to Ukraine? Like why you took on this challenge? Personally, for me, my company has sort of a motto that we will make sure no matter where, how far, no matter who it is, we will get a filter to that person. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of NGOs out there and we wanted to make sure our filters are reaching the people. We're handing them to them. Now, we don't do with every filter, but in this particular scenario, I wanted to make sure 
our donors know that you know our filters are touching the hands of these people we are giving them to the medic of the front line and we're hugging him as we're showing him how to use the filter you know and and we're just you know making sure that it, it the human gets the the product that people are so generously donating you know there's a lot of uh uh, uh i think there's a little bit of mystery in the sense of like well if i donate x does it really get there and we just want to make sure that we're making the promise come true and the promise has been delivered this is colorado matters from cpr news and krcc i'm chandra thomas whitfield i'm speaking with sarah davison tracy of seeds of exchange and john d young of water for all According to your organization, Water for All, more than 2 billion people around the world don't have access to clean water. How does war, like what's underway there in Ukraine now, exacerbate the situation and also complicate the work that you're doing with Water for All? <laughs> That's a wonderful question. Why don't you <laughs> think they've even been asked that one? I love how, I love how you just integrated that so smoothly. <laughs> Um, we're Amigalive, right? This is a great, great example. We are there. And um, Russia, um, Amigalive gets their clean water from a water main from another another city, Krakow. So it is 70 kilometers away. And Russia sent their missiles and they blew up that water main right in the middle. And so all their water is out. And so you're talking about, you know, about th- uh, 700,000 people who ha- now have no water. And so what they ended up doing is the uh, mayor who we met uh, yesterday, we met the mayor of Mykolaiv and sat with him. He said, what we had to do is we made a choice on April 12th to shift the water from the seas and the rivers <laughs> to give our people some water. But that water is salty, it's dirty, it's, you know, um, and it's not, it's not clean. And so what happens is then the people are moving toward the villages, right? Or they're moving outside of Mykolaiv to get water. And so our filter gives clean water to the people who have moved out of Mykolaiv. And it makes it very difficult when, you know, if you're a family and the first thing you need is water, right? Mm-hmm. You need air first. And the second thing you need is water. Um, and so our filters come alongside that. So you're, now you're looking at a country of Ukraine where, you know, the enemy has blown up infrastructure all across the East, wow. including water and gas and electricity. The first thing you're going to do as a family, I mean, even in Colorado, we'd probably all run to the rivers and go, we need water, <laughs> right? That would be the first thing we would do. And so, you know, it exasperates the uh, uh, the situation because now you have millions of people seeking water um, just to survive the next two or three days. Continuing on about the filters, they're called Viva Blue Water for All Filters. Help us understand how big they are and how they work. And I understand there are a number of things about them that make these filters unique from other products out there. Our filter is about uh, five and a half inches in size and weighs about five ounces. Okay. Okay. And very small, and it can... um, it can draw water out because it siphons the water out through gravity. Uh, so we call them gravity-fed filters. So let, let, let's put into perspective, since we're on the radio and you can't see it, imagine two buckets on top of each other. The top bucket um, is five gallons. The bottom bucket is five gallons. Our filter is inside the bucket. 
mm-hmm. and it comes out through a hole into a spigot and then the spigot has a tube that goes into the second bottom bucket to provide the clean water so you put the dirty water on top gravity pushes through the filter into the spigot and then into the bottom bucket so we call this like a double bucket system and so you get the dirty water on top it filters out 99.99999 percent <laughs> of contaminants uh, microplastics and stuff through that as well so you get to have clean water we've also made it so that the maintenance of the water filter is very unique all you have to do is take off the top casing twist it off and then the filter is exposed with another protective layer on it but you can just rinse the filter so that uh, it stays maintained you don't have to back flush it we've eliminated back flushing so there's no need to push water back through it anymore because the contaminants just sit on top of those fibers and so if you can just basically think about shaking off the contaminants um, in that. And so the other thing we developed specifically for the war is sort of this cool 10 liter backpack Mm. where you can just uh, take the backpack, scoop up 10 liters of water, wrap it up, and then you can hang it on a tree, put it on a chair. I mean, you can hang it anywhere and it siphons the water straight out of that backpack as well. So the filter is inside the backpack, dirty water goes in, pure clean water comes out. Sarah, um, I'm wondering about some of the connections you've made during your visit to Ukraine. How do these connections inform what you're doing on this trip? (laughs) It's a perfect time to ask that question because (laughs) we just spent about eight hours on the road from um, the southeast in this area of Ukraine called Mykolaiv that is being heavily bombarded right now by Russia. And we are now in Kyiv. And the whole time (laughs) I was uh, on my laptop, on my phone, making connections. We have a community event that we're hosting here in Kyiv tomorrow night to gather change makers, people working in the government, NGOs, everyday citizens to connect, to learn what one another is doing for us to be able to say, how do you need support? What stories can we share with the world that really matter to you here? Um, And... I just fundamentally believe that uh, the more our network is cultivated and grows and is truly rooted in the sense of reciprocity and looking for ways to care for and collaborate with one another, that truly is what brings uh, powerful change in the world and very practical ways for us to be able to solve some of the greatest problems in the world. So I want to make sure I mention on our team, it's John and I, my husband, Brandon Davison Tracy, who's a, a pediatrician in Denver, Colorado, and a dear brand new soul sister of John and mine, Jill Tupper, mm-hmm. who has an organization called Warriors Powered by Love. And uh, we four are all bringing our gifts the things that we love to be able to do to make a difference in the world. We are finding ways as a little team of four to share these gifts and to do what we can to care for our friends here in Ukraine and then looking for ways to just ripple those connections, pun intended, with the water (laughs) out into Ukraine and truly around the world to be able to say we cannot make a difference alone. And alone truly the, the world's greatest challenges are overwhelming. They are disheartening. But together, we can make a difference and we can be fueled with hope. 
And speaking of making a difference, you mentioned Young Life Ukraine. Is that the same ministry that does work here in Colorado? It sure is. They are a global nonprofit organization that uh, is doing profound work. In fact, the when when John and I came with our team in May, we were so stunned to walk through the Young Life uh, Aid Center, which had been converted from Young Life Club, which is a youth group. It's a faith-based organization that instead of have bringing kids together to, well, actually, they were still bringing kids together, but they had completely transformed their club room, which was gathering kids from all over the city into, it looked like a legit UN aid <laughs> tent with um, an enormous amount of food and supplies and tourniquets for soldiers. And they were using their youth vans to, to bring this aid directly into the war zone, to drop it and then bring refugees that were in desperate need of evacuating Ukraine in those same youth vans out of Ukraine. And it was absolutely mind boggling. For it, They were a picture of what people can do when they say, what tools do we have to be able to make a difference right here in my community? And they have not stopped. They have not stopped one single day. And we, our team of Jill, Brandon, John, and I have spent the last three days since we got here with our jaws on the ground at watching how they are unstoppable <laughs> in what they are doing here in Ukraine and around the world. John, as we wrap up, I have to ask, what about you in terms of the connections you're making? Like how are those connections informing what you're doing on this trip? You know, I tell you what, um, it's been really neat. We are being connected not only with Young Life and their network in Ukraine is infinite. They know everybody, and um, and it's because they're they're making a difference in the youth, and people care about our next generation. And so, what Sarah's saying is, when we were in their headquarters uh, in Ukraine, I mean, there were hundreds of refugees going through, but the relationships that we're building, whether it's government or other NGOs, I think what we're discovering is that everyone has come together and said we're going to work toward this one cause of unity, freedom, and hope. And I really do hope that, you know, people who are listening to that can resonate with that because we all are fighting together for freedom, hope, and unity. And I think that, you know, as terrible as this war is, it does not take away the troubles that we have in our own lives, whether it's Denver, Colorado, or, or you know, Boise, Idaho. It, it, it Everyone is going through some sort of struggle in their life. And this is a cool little way that you start seeing, wait a minute, again, like whether you're a government or an NGO or a church or a school or you're a therapist or, you know, an organization like Seeds, we all come together and go, wait a minute, this is a cause that we care about, which is just the human cause, I think. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's yes. like... We can really come together and make a difference and we can make an impact because everyone cares. And if we were to just, you know, I think if we just dig deep into that and go, you know, I care about the things that are going on with me, but I also care about what's going on with others, my neighbor, um, you know, what do I have in my hand to do something there? So that it's been really neat. It's been it's transforming me, if that makes any sense. You know, I'm learning a lot. And yeah. um, it's it's been a 
fascinating transformation of my heart as well as my friends. It's all relationship and it's all about love, loving your neighbor and loving each other and then and making a difference. Mm. So. What a powerful moment and message to end on. Thanks to you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah Davison Tracy is the founder of Seeds for Exchange. John DeYoung is with Water for All. They're providing water filters to people in need in war-ravaged Ukraine. When we come back, twin brothers from Denver make their voices heard on the national stage. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Colorado's lowest elevation just isn't celebrated like its highest is. There's not even a marker. That is until Colorado Matters took a trip to Yuma County and met the landowner. When did you learn that your property included the lowest point in Colorado? When you called me. Seriously? Seriously. Now there's a marker. Catch our story featuring a special musical guest Friday on CPR News and KRCC. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. It's the first day of school at Denver's East High School for two students who are walking the halls as the best of the best. They represented Colorado at the National Speech and Debate Tournament in Kentucky this summer in the duo interpretation category. Tied to the earth. I mean, flush faces looking at me telling me I couldn't fly. I couldn't break gravity's pool. But I'd show them. I'd show them all that I could fly. All the people who looked at me and crossed the street just because the color of my skin. I'd show them I could soar. Wow. Elias and Elias Ghosts are identical twins. The dynamic duo ultimately placed sixth in the tournament, their first ever national competition. And get this, they were only rising juniors at the time. Welcome, Elias and Elijah. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Matters. Thank you for having us. And we're also joined by their coach at Denver's East High School, Noah Kaplan. Good to be here. Let's set the scene. You're in Louisville, Kentucky, in a huge auditorium Mm -hmm. filled with literally the best and brightest speech and debate competitors in the nation. So after a quick introduction, you both step onto the stage in these snazzy black and metallic gold tuxedos with coordinating bow ties, I might add. Yes. Looking like you're about to join in the Motown review. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But to put it more into context for your generation, maybe ready to take the red carpet at the MTV Video Music Awards. Oh, yeah, hopefully that's what we're going for. (laughs) And so you take the stage, and the crowd, just at the sight of you, they go wild. Mm -hmm. Elias, take it from there. What happened next? Um, I think I came up onto the stage. I walked on first, actually, and I was looking, and she announced our names, and we had a little, like, pre, like, kind of like rehearsal, a dress rehearsal before we went on the a couple of hours before mm-hmm. the actual tournament. So I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is what I think it's going to be. But when I walked up there, the stage just got bigger. The <laughs> lights were brighter. It was darker. You could feel the atmosphere and the vibe kind of just rising. Because the, the way the lady gave the introduction, she was like, the biggest competition, the most favorite competition in all of the entire tournament. 
duo. And she said us, because we were the first speakers, so we were like, okay, we have to set the tone, we have to set the stage. And I walk on, and I look out to the crowd, and I couldn't see no one's eyes. All I heard was cheering, and I didn't know if it was 600 people there or 6 million people there. That's how <laughs> loud the crowd was. And the lights were bright, they were in my eyes. And I looked at my brother, I took a deep breath, and then we were off. And then wow. I think I pretty much blacked out that whole time. It was such a great <laughs> and um, such an adrenaline-pumping experience. I It was like an out-of-body experience for me. That's exactly, you took the words right out of my mouth. It sounds like in the movies where yes, like, you just see this like tunnel vision. And, yeah. yeah, it sounds pretty intense. What about you, Elijah? What do you remember about that moment when um, all eyes are on you? I remember uh, the first thing I thought to myself is, if my heart jumps out of my chest, make sure you catch it. Um, <laughs> my heart was just bumping, bumping a million times a minute. Um, I walk up behind my brother, and then I turn around, and like I said, bright lights, dark room. And I remember, okay, look at the coaches. Smile. <laughs> show them that I'm, we're here. Look at the judges. Smile ten times harder and show we're here to go. And um, I remember my brother looking at me, and then that's when we were off. You ended up as the only all-black duo on the final round stage. That must be pretty exciting. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely an amazing opportunity. So, Elijah, tell us about this category that you compete in. It's called the duo interpretation. Yes. What is it, and what does it entail? Okay, so duo interpretation is two people. You um, you have a piece. You could cut it from a movie or a script, a play, uh, things like that. And uh, it's about from anywhere from like seven and a half minutes to ten minutes and thirty seconds. Mm. And uh, the magic of it is you can't look at each other. You can't touch each other. Well, I guess you can look at each other, but not directly in your each other's eyes. You can't mm-hmm. touch each other, and there is no props whatsoever. Wow. Like, even if you were walk to, to walk down the stairs, it would be considered as you using the stairs as props. So that's when you kind of have to use your acting skills and the audience's imagine, um, imagination as well as your own to try to create the scene. Your presentation was pretty unique, and you used the symbolism of a circus to describe the experience of being black in America and what you call the soul it takes to survive and thrive here. Elias, tell us more about that. I mean, uh, well, you couldn't have said it better yourself, but I think that uh, what we really wanted to do was capture the lifestyle and the hardships, the trials and tribulations of being black in America, but not only doing that, because we know showing the problem doesn't always give you the solution. Mm. So we wanted to also give you the solution, give you that sense of transcendence where we blasted off physically. I literally was uh, blasted out of a cannon cannon at the end for the final scene, but metaphorically showing that you can transcend these trials and tribulations, you can transcend these problems, and that youth everywhere, which is why I'm so grateful to be able to perform in one of the biggest speech and debate stages in America, which I said in my intro and I could just show black youth or minority youth any type of youth that you can transcend any problem or any thing that's going wrong mm. in, at any time in any place because you have that power to overcome it with just the power of your voice. Elijah, what did you hope the audience would get from your presentation? Um, I hoped and one of the biggest things that I think I've strived for being a minority youth is that even though you're not old enough to vote, your voice still matters. Mm. Even though you might not have some of the same privileges as an adult would or a congresswoman would, you still have a voice that deserves to be heard. You still have a light that deserves to be to shine on anyone. And I think that with our piece being black and being um, uh, a part of the youth, we kind of I wanted to represent that 
everyone anywhere at any time could have a voice and it deserved to be listened to. Now, their coach, Noah Kaplan, is sitting right here smiling and beaming, which I would imagine how how exciting it must be to watch your students like evolve and really just have this moment. So what was the process like for you as coach? Well, uh, these two gentlemen make it very easy. Um, They are remarkable young men and um, have uh, really taken to this activity really well. They have some really wonderful natural gifts and are really open young men. Uh, They're the kind of kids that any coach would dream of having. They listen, they internalize, they take ideas and they make them their own. And they really find a way to bring themselves into every aspect of the performance. And they are hardworking young men. And they never stopped. Explain for us, especially those of us not so entrenched in this competitive world of speech and debate, the significance of them making it this far. Yeah, that's a great question because it really is, um, it's hard to describe actually all that must be done in order to get to this, this big of a stage. These students compete all year long, beginning in... November, going all the way to March, where the regular season ends and we have our state tournament. Uh, Elias and Elijah actually won the state tournament, and then they need to qualify for nationals. So the only top two competitors in each category in our district get to go to the national tournament. So not only do they win the state tournament, they go undefeated at our local tournaments. They then find themselves at the national qualifying tournament, and they win that tournament too. Once they've won that tournament, we kick it into high gear. We're running practices after school almost daily. And we get on an airplane, we go to uh, Kentucky, where they're competing against the best every district in the entire Mm. country has to offer. So they get to the stage there. And after, what, you guys had some 15 rounds or something like that? It was a crazy day. Yeah, about 200 competitors. For a week of competition, they are running this piece every day with the best the whole country has to offer. And they have to land in the top, you know, one, two, or three in every one of those rounds. And as the week goes on, the competition thins Mm. uh, and the rounds get harder and the competition gets more competitive. And you're also getting more and more tired because you're in these suits, you know, in (laughs) 98 degree. Yes, you guys, those suits did not breathe, did they? No, (laughs) 98 degree heat in uh, Kentucky with like 100% humidity. And um, it's it's an endurance game. And uh, they they brought it every single time. It was a remarkable uh, thing to watch and and be a part of. And I was just so proud. I I beamed all week long um, just to see these young men. (laughs) Well, you're beaming now, too. No doubt. they beat out uh, nearly 230 other students? 230 others at this tournament, but it's important to remember that those are the 230 best the entire country has to offer, and they have beat out thousands. So at the end of the day, there are dual competitors all over the country, thousands of them, and uh, they land in the top six of that number. I'm talking with brothers Elias and Elijah Goss, who start their junior year at Denver's East High School today. They are state champions and national finalists in duo interpretation in speech and debate. Their coach is Noah Kaplan. I asked about what it was like to compete in such an intense competition. It was a little nerve-wracking, especially being our first time on a stage that big. But the thing that I like to refer to most when people say, oh, pressure, it's a big uh, feat to do this, you had me must, must be so nervous. When you love what you do, it is not hard to do it. When you know that you're sharing your story with as much people as possible, it is almost easy 
to do what we do. Because if you know you have someone that the, took the time out of their day to dedicate themselves to listening to you wholeheartedly with all their effort, with all their heart, with all their mind, give their entire attention to you for 10 minutes, mm. I'm going to make sure I, got, I, I say what I have to say. Regardless of what rank they give me at the end of the round, regardless if they don't even talk to me after I say what I have to say, if they are going to sit there and watch me speak for 10 minutes, I'm going to say what I got to say. I'm going to represent for my community, for my school, for my state, for my country, for mm. the what, what whatever I have to represent at that moment in time. I'm going to represent to the best of my ability. So it's not almost a nervous feeling. It's a prideful feeling. You're like, yeah, people are listening to me. Even with my, what my brother just said, not only just listen, but try to interpret and understand what you were trying to say. And that's why I love the term dual interpretation, because you're not only listening and watching something, you're trying to interpret it. Noah, why do you believe these opportunities for the arts and competition, mm -hmm. extracurricular activities? And it seems that we hear over and over the, the lack of funding and mm -hmm. a movement away from these types of um activities what why is this so important you think well i mean it's important for so many reasons um speech and debate in particular in the arts in general uh helps kids discover the power of their own voice and their own story um what i love about speech and debate and you know this extends into the other art forms the you know music and dance um it helps young people empower themselves to become the individuals and the adults that they want to be. They m manifest their story. They manifest the people they want to be by telling that story. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, discovering the power of story, discovering the power of um, telling that story well, and learning how to win with style, learning how to lose with style, learning how to and mentor. Grace, and grace. Exactly. Grace That's right. Um, learning how to mentor and be mentored, learning how to listen, learning how to take advice and make it your own. Um, those are the makings of a, a really rich and um, powerful uh, life. And I, I don't think you get that uh, always in a core class. You, you need the space to really stretch that creativity. And speech and debate definitely gives us that chance. There is an especially captivating point in your presentation, Elias and Elijah. Let's just take a listen to what you two said. Last night, we slept on the southern shore of the Ohio River. This divided the North and the South during the Civil War. 160 years ago, if we were to be standing on a stage in Kentucky, it would probably be to be sold publicly or to be hanged. But today, we stand here before you on the greatest stage in speech and debate history. Proving that this history and these circumstances has allowed the black community to be strong, creative, and resilient. So Elias, what was the message there? Well, the crazy part is me and my brother, the night before the tournament, we were all downstairs. We had our regular team meeting, the meeting we have at the end of the day. And one of our coaches, Mr. Anderson, he's our dean at our school. He was one of our chaperones. He took me and my brother outside of the hotel that we were staying at, which is right next to the Ohio River. And he pointed to the river. He was like, what is that? And we were like, of course, the easy answer, a river. And he was like, okay, and what's on top of the river? 
Oh, he's like, a bridge. And we were like, okay. And he was like, what river is that? And we are like, it's the Ohio River. And he's like, what does it represent? And we were like, we don't know. So he began to tell us. He was like, back during the Civil War times when we're talking about slavery and Mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff. And he was like, that was the dividing line between the North and the South during the Civil War. So if a slave wanted to be free, he or she had to cross that river Mm. in order to get to freedom. And way back then, if we were standing in that position, us as black men, if we were standing on that south side of that river, which we were, we would be slaves. We would not be free men. And we would not be able to do the things that we are doing at this day and era in this generation. So we were like, that's very eye-opening. And he did it to show us that we are not doing a very easy feat. And Mm. us and our ancestors and the people before us have come a very long way for us to do what we do. So me and my brother... We went in our room that night and we were like, that was so captivating. That was so eye opening. We have to share that with our other competitors, with the judges when we get on that stage. So one of the most poignant parts of your presentation, you conceived the night before. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think, the night before. Uh, Pretty amazing. I think all of our best kind of like most special things that we kind of created were kind of like on the fly. Yeah, I guess I think that's a, a little bit of the magic of it as, as well. Uh, and I think um, another shout out to Mr. Anderson. I think what he gave us probably the best, the inspiration for the best part of mm. our entire performance, because it wasn't just that we we had done this feat. Yeah. It was that the reason we were able to be there in the first place is because our community works hard every single day for us to be able to do things like that. Back in the day, we didn't have those things. And our community shed blood, sweat, and tears for us to even be up on that stage. Our voice matters because of all the stuff that we had to go through. And I think that's the real significance of what we said. And I think it ties into our piece perfectly because the sole solution is you. You are the sole solution. And that is the name of your peace. Peace. That is the name exactly. Of our peace. You can do it. You have a voice. Your voice matters. And we're here to show you how important that is. Elias and Elijah Goss are twins who attend Denver's East High School. They are national finalists and state champions in the duo interpretation category in speech and debate. Their coach is Noah Kaplan. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.